This is the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. It's great to have you join us again. Today is the last episode of our May series, Managing Divine Treasure, where Pastor Harlan Purdy teaches that stewarding the gospel is more than just preaching the gospel of salvation, but it is also about having transformed lives through the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. And we're reminded that although the church is successful in preaching the gospel, it fails in discipleship. So we hope that today's message will move you and encourage you to not only preach the gospel, but to teach, to train, to equip and walk together with those who have received Christ as their Savior. Possessions. We all have some. Some of them are valuable. Some of them have little value. Some of them... Their value can never be measured in dollars and cents because their value is is in their connection with us and our relationship with others. And we talk about sentimental value. Oftentimes, the things that we value most are not things that have monetary value, but they have sentimental value. Uh, think of think of this: if you were in your house and it caught fire, and you had the opportunity to bring one thing. What would it be? Don't tell me. But almost immediately something came to mind. And for many of you, if I was to ask you, what's that worth? You, you would struggle because, you know, it may not be worth very much in dollars and cents, but you just knew that that was the thing you had to rescue from the flames. Well, today, I want to talk to you about what your most valuable possession is. No, it's not your car. It's not even your house. It's not your job. It's not your money. It's not even your spouse, as valuable as they are. It's not your most valuable thing. The most valuable thing that you have is eternal life. It's your salvation. Your greatest possession is the reconciliation that you have and the ministry of reconciliation that you have been given. Paul recognizes the value and the importance of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. He's preparing himself to go to Spain, but he he holds off. He he resists taking that trip because there's a problem in the church in Corinth. There's a problem in the church in Asia. There's a problem in the church in the in the Middle East, and that problem is that there's tremendous conflict between Gentiles and Jewish believers. And Paul is not prepared and willing to go to Spain and to preach the gospel until he has done everything that he can do to bring reconciliation within the body of Christ because an unreconciled church is not the kind of prayer support that he's going to need when he goes to Spain. Today, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 16 to 21, and it's up on the screen. So let's stand again. I'm going to make you stand for the reading of God's Word, and let's read it together. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know Him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You may be seated. Reconciliation is God's initiative. You and I did not think up reconciliation. It wasn't our plan. It wasn't something that we thought of. It wasn't something that came out of our thinking. Reconciliation was God's idea from beginning to end. It had its initiation. 
had its beginning in the heart and the mind and the plan of God. God, and God alone is the driving force behind the redemption of humankind. And so that is, can we go back? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why that little illustration was presented to the children just a few moments ago. To remind them and to remind us that our reconciliation, our being brought back into relationship with Christ, with God, is through Christ. If we look at this text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21, we will discover that this awesome gift is ours, and there are three key things that Paul says in this text. Number one, God is the driving force behind redemption. Reconciliation is God's idea. Secondly, reconciliation is in Christ. Thirdly, God continues to act through you, through me, through all who have been reconciled to continue that ministry and message of reconciliation. So let's think for a moment that God is the initiator of reconciliation. So then, what is reconciliation? Simply stated, reconciliation is the bringing together of two parties that have been at odds with each other. Two warring parties, if you will. Whether it's individuals, groups of people, whether it's nations, whether it's ethnic groups, language groups, whatever it is, when there is conflict between two entities, they are brought together through reconciliation. And when we think about being at odds with each other, we need to recognize that first and foremost, there needs to be reconciliation between God and man. The Word of God tells us that we are at enmity, or we are the enemies of God. We're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We are separated from God from the moment we take our first breath until that moment in which we receive Christ Jesus as our Savior and are reconciled with God. Reconciliation must also take place between people. Because the one thing that sin will do is it will break us apart. It will separate us on all kinds of boundaries and all kinds of levels and, and in all kinds of ways. It will separate us because our body shape is different. It will divide us because we come from different regions. Northerners absolutely adore Southerners in Malawi. You're chuckling. How come? I mean, why would coming from the north and coming from the south make a difference? Because it does. And then we're separated. Sin will cause all kinds of things. Sin will cause what I think you're thinking to cause me to become angry with you. You may not even be thinking it, but because I think you're thinking it, and I'll get even with you for what you're thinking, even though you're not thinking it, I'm just thinking that you're thinking it. 
Because that's what sin does. It divides. It separates. It breaks us apart. And so we need reconciliation. God has become our example in that He took the first step. This text tells us that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to Himself. God, even before creation began, knew what was going to happen. And He put in place the plan of redemption. It was planned and ordained that in the fullness of time, Jesus would come so that he might become the sin-bearer for us. So reconciliation, then, is in Christ. God acted through Christ's death, and Christ alone is the means of reconciliation. I cannot give away enough money to earn my entrance into heaven. I can't do enough good works to earn my way into heaven. Tell me, how many good things do you have to do to cover one lie to your mother? How many times do you have to tell the truth before you stop being a liar? You see, once you've lied... You are a liar. And you can never change that. If you ever stole a five quacha coin any time in your life, you are a thief. And you can't change that. You say, but I don't practice thievery. No, but you've broken the law of honesty. And you can never say, I have never stolen. When you are supposed to be at work from half seven to half four. Oh, but you're allowed a break from 12 to one. But you don't show up until 7.35 and you leave at 5 to 12 and return at 1.05 and because you've got to catch the minibus, you leave at 4.25. You've become a thief. Because you're being paid for half seven to 12, one to half four. And by leaving early and coming late, you have stolen time. And there's nothing more valuable than time. Aren't you excited now? Don't, aren't you glad you came to church this morning to feel so good? Well, you see, what we need to understand is, is that we're all lawbreakers. And there's nothing that we can do to change that or to alter it or to erase it. That's why our Heavenly Father sent Christ. Because He was not a lawbreaker. He was perfect. And because He was perfect, He was able to take our punishment so that we could receive forgiveness. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You have to be forgiven into heaven. Reconciliation takes place through the cross. In Christ is referring to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And because of the atoning work of Christ, we can be reconciled to God. We can also be reconciled to one another. Reconciliation is our ministry. I thank the Lord that I stand before you this morning. And even though I am a lying thief, I am forgiven. 
I can even go so far as to say, even though I am a lying, thieving, murdering rascal, you say, murdering? Uh, Jesus said, if I hate in my heart, then I am guilty of murder. Because I'm guilty of the sin that results in the act. And I must confess, I have hated one or two. I hated the father of a lovely blonde when I was 16 years old. I mean, I hated him. I really hated him. You don't want to know why. So, if what Jesus said is true, in my heart I'm guilty of murder. I hated him so much that if somebody had come and told me that he'd been run over by a truck, I would have probably clapped. And so even though I am all those things, the greatest thing I am is forgiven. I am washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I have been reconciled. So I stand before you, a lying, thieving, murdering rascal who is reconciled with God. Hallelujah. Even reconciled with that dad that I hated. Because I did get the chance to get it right. Amen? Reconciliation. It's my ministry. It's my ministry because of who I am. Because I am reconciled. God continues to act through those who have been reconciled to bring reconciliation to the world. You and I, the redeemed of the Lord, have the awesome, wonderful, amazing privilege of telling others how they can be reconciled. We have a message that the world needs to hear. Would it be an overstatement to say that our world is having some conflict? How many of you have been paying a little bit of attention to to the American election? Do you think that Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump love each other? You think that they're calling each other up and making an appointment for coffee? Do you think that the camp of Hillary Clinton would be really saddened if, you know, Donald Trump got really sick and couldn't finish the... In Britain, one group says yes, the other group says no. One group wants to leave, the other group wants to stay. No, I'm not going to get into politics. But do you think that those two groups are working hard to come together and have coffee every morning? No, they want the other group to lose. And in some of those groups, the animosity runs very deep. Our world is a world where animosity is not that uncommon. Where conflict raises its head over and over and over again. But God wants reconciliation. God has made it possible for reconciliation to take place. God wants you and I, His servants, to be engaged in that ministry of reconciliation. We do it by preaching, by teaching, by applying the gospel, by helping people to see the gospel in action. For the Apostle Paul, this was the ministry that he understood he was engaged in. He recognized that reconciliation brings forth righteousness. It brings about righteousness. The Holy Spirit, the living Spirit of God is at work in our lives to bring forth 
this reconciliation and to lead us and enable us to bring reconciliation and its hope to our world. Because you see, reconciliation changes reality. Reconciliation changes reality. The Christian credo is this. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and having entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. The core. Christianity boiled down to its basis of of identification is God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. It's what the church is all about. It's what we are supposed to be about. That's our identity. If you, if you want to understand and know what the church is, that's it. We are a group of reconciled people bringing a word of reconciliation, the hope of reconciliation to a world that desperately needs it. Verse number 17 says, so if anyone is, is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. So the reality is, is I am no longer a lying, thieving, murdering rascal. Because that's the old Harlan Purdy. The new Harlan Purdy is, I am righteous in Christ. That's who I am. And I thought you'd all throw tomatoes at me when I said I'm a lying, thieving, murdering rascal. Because you know better. (laughs) That was a weak amen. (laughs) You see, you are not who you were. In Christ... Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, that doesn't work as well as... Remember the story I told you about uh, about the, the fellow in Lockport, Nova Scotia, who owed all kinds of money in all kinds of shops and, and got saved. And when he was asked by one of the shop owners, Hey, you got saved now. When are you going to pay your bill? And his response was, Behold, all things have become new. The old has passed away. <laughs> the guy who owed you money doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't work quite that way. If you owed, if you owed money before you got saved, you owe money after you got saved. <laughs> okay. But our nature is transformed. The core of our being is transformed. God no longer counts our sin against us. We are stewards of reconciliation. Now we steward reconciliation by imitating God. What does that mean? Well, it means this. God initiated reconciliation between himself and man. He didn't wait for us to come looking for him because if he'd waited, he'd still be waiting. We, we would never go looking for God. Because we really, at, in our lost condition, don't even think we need God. I remember a young man that I was in high school with. And in the high school that I attended, uh, noon hour was from 12 to 1.30. So I don't know why they called it noon hour, because it was noon hour and a half. And, and the, the high school was right in the middle of the town. And, and most of us students were bussed in from out in the country. So we had every day an hour and a half to be in town. Now, you know what the country boys do when they get a chance to be in town. Well, this guy, and there was a, there was a, there was a place where we all knew a little shop down on Main Street where you could go and there was a back room. And there was just about everything in that back room that you could imagine. And this boy, uh, he, half of my graduating class came back to class at half one, drunk or stoned. 
And I remember this young man, his life was, well, I, I, I really don't know the proper descriptive for it. But I remember a Sunday evening service. This was four or five years after we had graduated high school. And one of our classmates had just died that week. And this young man came to church. Never, to my knowledge, had never been in church before in his life. The preacher preached a real good salvation message. And I went back and spoke to him before he left. And I said to him, have you ever thought about getting saved, giving your heart and life to the Lord? He said, I'm saved. I said, you are? When? Well, he said, I've always been saved. I've never sinned. And he believed what he said. Now, you ask any person if they're perfect, and they'll say, well, no, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But if you ask them, do you think you're good enough to go to heaven? Most of them will say, well, yeah. You know, I mean, I've never murdered anybody. You know, I'm pretty good. I, You know, I help people out once in a while when I can. See, most people have no conviction of sin apart from God. If the Holy Spirit doesn't bring conviction to our heart, we will not know that we need to be saved. So God initiates our reconciliation. So if we're going to follow his example, then it is incumbent upon us to ensure that reconciliation is taking place. We have to go to the places where there isn't reconciliation. We have to be the reconcilers. We have to be the one to go. You say, but it wasn't my fault. That doesn't matter. It wasn't God's fault either. But he came. And so we need to take the initiative. We need to start looking around as the church and ask the question, where does reconciliation need to happen? What does reconciliation in our world look like? Now, I'm not talking about the salvation of sin. You can't do that. The only thing you can do with regards to that is to preach the gospel. And the church does that part really well. The church preaches the gospel well. Today, all over the world, the gospel will be proclaimed and thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, will come into the kingdom of God by receiving Christ as their Savior because the gospel was preached. Over and over again, you'll see ministries. They, they, they will advertise their great crusades in India. The, the, the evangelist or the apostle or the prophet or whatever title you want to give them travels to India and has a big crusade for four days and 300,000 come up for every service. And they put the big banners out. Hundreds of thousands come to Christ. And they advertised the large numbers that came to the altar and prayed the prayer of repentance. And then they go home. They just leave. They go back to the United States. They go back to Canada. They go back to the UK. They come back to Malawi. They, they just go back. And now, what happens to those people? You see, the part of reconciliation that the church has done very badly at is the part called discipleship. Coming alongside of people who receive Christ as their Savior and saying, okay, you've begun. Now we need to walk together. And to teach, to train, and to equip. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to tell the thief your sins are forgiven. But how is that thief who's lived his entire life providing for his family through theft going to now provide for his family 
Well, I'll tell you how. Somebody like Ian is going to come along. Ian, I'm sure most of you know, has a wonderful talent. He can make, and I better be careful of this speaker before I go and knock your ears out. Ian can make amazingly beautiful and good-sounding guitars. And you know what he does? He has a shop where he trains young men, probably young women if they would come. Would you, Ian? Well, okay, young men and young women. How to build guitars. And one or two of the people that have worked with him have gone off and they've got their own business now. And his hope is, is that the ones he's now training will have their own business at some, some point. There are many of you here that you're coming alongside of people. You're giving them training. You're giving them knowledge. You're giving them skills that will enable them to be productive and to be able to care for their needs. That is discipleship, folks. Teaching people how to do business, how to manage that business, teaching teaching people what profit is. Because, you know, if you buy the bananas for 500 kwacha and you sell them for four, you're not going to be in business for very long. If you buy them for 500 kwacha and it costs you 150 kwacha to get them to wherever it is you're going to sell them, now the bananas have cost you 650 kwacha. If you sell them for 550 thinking you made a profit, you're in trouble. You're going to find that the money you have in your pocket is going to buy less and less bananas until eventually you won't be able to buy any. So teaching, you say, Pastor, what's this got to do with reconciliation? Has everything to do with reconciliation. Because you see, reconciliation is moving people from lostness and death to wholeness and life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And part of the task of the reconciled community is to enable people to know how to take kingdom principles and apply them in their everyday, ordinary, practical life. Now, the clock is not going to allow me to expand on that very much. But let me just say this. We've all grown up in a culture our culture teaches us how to understand and interpret the world. I grew up in southern Nova Scotia, the son of a fisherman. So I learned to interpret the world through the eyes of a southern Nova Scotia fisherman. I interpret behaviors. I, I interpret phrases. I remember getting in trouble in grade 10 in science class because I told my teacher he was pulling my leg. My teacher was a new immigrant from India. He interpreted my phrase, you're pulling my leg, literally. And he challenged me as to how it could be possible that I would be pulling his leg when he was at the front of the class and I was sitting in the third seat. And he threw me out of the class and sent me to the principals were going to try and get me expelled from school because I was a dirty little boy. He interpreted that phrase as something very sinister and evil. But in my culture, you're pulling my leg means you're, you're joking, aren't you? You see, culture teaches us how to interpret the world. What we need to understand is, is that Jesus came to bring a new culture.
That's what the kingdom of God is. It's a new culture. It's a new way of understanding the world. It's a new way of doing things. Malawi has a culture. It teaches us how to interpret many things. And there are times when the culture of southern Nova Scotia fishermen or the culture of Lower Shiri Malawian is in conflict with the kingdom of God. And when that happens, as a follower of Jesus, I have to set aside my culture and I have to walk in the culture of the kingdom of God. And when I do that, Jesus says it will bring freedom it will bring life. When, when we start doing business in Malawi, the kingdom way, we'll see some good things happen. We start doing government in Malawi, the kingdom way, we'll see a big deal. When we start doing business, kingdom way, all over this world, it will transform trade between nations. It will transform the way we work together. It will transform the balances of power. It will transform the balances of economy. I guarantee if the world tomorrow would start doing things kingdom way, within a very few days, hunger would cease around the world. Because we would learn to do it God's way. Witchcraft, fear, Jealousy, corruption. There are issues in Malawi. Sometimes serious issues. Sometimes they introduce a tremendous amount of harm and hardship and pain. Reconciliation. The word of reconciliation brought by the people of God will eradicate those things. Our teenage girls won't have to be very careful where they walk after dark. Our children in orphan care won't have to be afraid when the lights go out because well because you know why our widows won't have to wonder if they're going to have enough sema for their children tomorrow because there will be empowerment I, I know, you all know this. And probably all of you are engaged in this. And so I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But I want to encourage you. That's what the word of reconciliation, that's what the ministry of reconciliation is. It's not just repent. That's part of it. An essential part of it. We do need to bring people to the cross. We do need to let sinners know that they can be saved. But that's just the start. When that has taken place, we need to recognize that Jesus Christ considers the church the change agent for the world. We bring hope and life wherever we are. We are the ones that God is expecting to be engaged in His work of reconciliation so that the world will be changed from darkness to light. That death will be replaced by life. Hopelessness will disappear and lives will be full of hope. not enough just to tell we have to live it Paul 
Paul stops his journey to Spain because he says, I can't go to Spain and tell them about something that we're not doing right here. Folks, let's let the kingdom reign in our lives and let's allow Holy Spirit to raise us up to be change agents so that we can bring life and hope to our nation. I close with this illustration. I, a friend that I knew years and years ago, he went to be with the Lord a long, long time ago. He was a southern shore fisherman too. His nickname was Dynamite. He got his nickname before he got saved. After he was saved and he'd been serving the Lord for about 10 years, he felt the call to come to Africa and he actually was ministering in, in Mozambique. You know what he did as a missionary? He came to teach people how to fish. He taught fishing because that's what he was good at. One day he was asked, what, what are you doing? I said, I teach people to fish. What are you, what are you doing that for? He says, because if I teach people how to fish, they'll be able to feed themselves. He said, I could go over there and I could give people fish. But if you give somebody a fish, they'll eat for a day. But if you teach them how to fish, they'll eat for a lifetime. And then they'll be able to pass that on to somebody else and somebody else. He touched thousands of lives on the coast of Mozambique. Just because he took what he knew that most people thought wasn't worth very much and he gave it away. He gave it away because he believed that Jesus had called him to bring hope and life. Folks, we've been called. What you have may to you not seem like very much. But if you give it away and you train and teach others and you come alongside and enable others, it will amaze you what God will do over time. Father, the ministry of reconciliation, thankfully, is about salvation. But thankfully, it is about more than that. It's about life. And Lord, I probably haven't expressed this very well. So Holy Spirit, would you take the truth of the ministry of reconciliation that yes, it in includes preaching the gospel of salvation, but the gospel is more than just having our sins forgiven. The gospel is about a transformed life through the kingdom of God and Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to not stop at the doorway of entrance. Help us to walk with people into the inner rooms. Help us to walk through life with them so that they might come to know the fullness of of your redemption, the fullness of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to be ambassadors for Christ, bringing healing, wholeness, hope to a world that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or ask for anybody to come to the front but I'm going to ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment and I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit we've been talking about stewardship this month we've talked about the stewardship of our finances the stewardship of our spiritual gifts the stewardship of our natural abilities stewardship of life 
ask Holy Spirit to show you the things that He has put in your life, the skills that you have learned and developed over time, those natural inclinations that are there that you have trained and equipped and built into powerful gifts in your life. And will you ask Holy Spirit, Show me how I can use this to to help other brothers and sisters in Christ, to help other people to take a step up in their life. Will you ask Holy Spirit to show you what it is that you can give away So that someone else might be able to walk in fullness of life. Lord, again, we thank you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will cause this thought. What can I give away to enable someone else to have fullness of life? That thought, Holy Spirit, to reverberate in the corridors of our heart and our mind throughout this coming week, the weeks ahead, so that we might be the ministers of reconciliation that you want activated in this world so that along with preaching the gospel we are preaching the kingdom we're teaching the kingdom we're living the kingdom so that others might know that you live And that you give life and that more abundantly. In your name, precious Lord, we ask it. Amen and amen. You've been listening to the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week with Pastor Harlan Purdy. We hope to see you again next week at CPC. And if you can't make it to any of our Sunday services at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m., you can always get the latest sermons online to listen, download, and share. Just visit our website, citypentecostal.church. Until next time, God bless you. And may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. Bye-bye.
praises. 